Welcome to the Small Talk Big Thoughts podcast. I'm your host, Ebony Griffin. Today, I talk to Kyle Bowman. Kyle is a spiritual coach, a kingdom teacher, and she serves as the DC Metro Director of Regeneration Ministries. Kyle is an amazing person, and I consider her to be a walking ministry resource. I'm so excited to have this conversation with her about sexual brokenness in the African-American community. So keep listening for part one of our discussion. I promise you will be blessed by our talk. Small talk, big thoughts, big thoughts. Small talk, big thoughts, big thoughts. Small talk, big thoughts, big thoughts. talking today with Kyle Bowman about sexual brokenness in the African-American community. Hey there, Kyle. How's it going? It's going well. Ebony is so glad. I'm so glad just to be with you and be talking about this today. Wow. I mean, I've been so excited for weeks just to kind of like talk and to just kind of get into this because it's such a layered layered subject right and so I'm happy that you're on the small talk big thoughts podcast Um, but I'm interested in just kind of diving in and just seeing how many of the layers we're able to kind of uncover so uh, just a little bit about you now I know that we you and I we met in seminary that's right just so the listeners will know we met in seminary in fact we were in uh, it was one of my Christian discipleship classes I remember that. And so that has been what, 2012 or 2013? 2013, I think it was. Okay. So 2013. And then, and that's been a long time. And so then we teamed up, you and I, and we went with a great group of people to Haiti also in 2013. That was a great, great missions trip. Yes, mission trip there and just a good opportunity to kind of just get in there. And a major part of why we went was to be able to enhance the area of counseling. Mm -hmm. So Christian counseling and discipleship in Haiti. So that was just a real fun time. But tell the listeners a little bit about you. Wow. So I am a native Washingtonian. You don't get to hear a lot of people say that often. Um, a lot of people are transplants from uh, D.C. to, you know, from somewhere else. And so I'm a native Washingtonian. I'm also an only child. Um, yeah. So a lot of people expect that I'm going to be a spoiled person, but my parents were having none of that. None of that. <laughs> so okay. None of that at all. I, I, I learned really just to be um, a servant to others and to share with others. So I didn't have to go through that, you know, being taught how to not be stingy. Um, mm-hmm. my parents how do you sure. think your parents accomplished that? Because I know I, I have siblings, but I grew up as the only child. Mm-hmm. How were your parents able to accomplish that for you? Um, really by example, uh, they always talked about helping others, being available for others, um, thinking about others, needs before your own Uh, so that was something you know we were always um, whether it was a family member or a friend um, there was always this example of what it means to help other people and so that really helped me not to be 
a selfish person. So um, I'm very grateful for that. Okay. And how pivotal was it to have um, for your household, for like your parents, to have like Christ in your upbringing? Is that one of the reasons why they were kind of showing you how to have that servant mentality? Yeah, I think that was part of it. Um, I would say uh, I wasn't as much um, like, you know, the thing was, okay, you know, Christianity is a part of your life. I didn't necessarily get that. It also means to have a personal relationship with Christ, um, but there was certainly the example of walking things out. Um, and so that was, but I think that was also something that helped me to, to get to the place of having my own faith as well. Um, to show that, well, I'm not doing this just for the sake of doing this. I'm doing this because um, this is what God calls us to do. And so I was able to understand that having a relationship with him also meant being a servant to others. So a good principle that was learned by your parents mm -hmm. uh, or taught to you from your parents. Tell me for you, I know that we're, we're, we're going to dive into the, the topic um, and then we will talk a little bit more about just, you know, you and your upbringing and, and really just how you got involved in this, uh, this topic. But let's start first by just going in depth a little bit with what is sexual brokenness? Okay, so I would de uh, define sexual brokenness as any um, sexual activity that is outside of God's design for sex and sexuality. Um, and that can come in a lot of forms. It could be whether something was perpetrated against you or it could be your own personal um, activity that you're involved in that, that results in having sexual brokenness. Okay. So when you say something that kind of happens to you, is that more like abuse? And would you say? Sure. And, and, you know, I wouldn't even just pigeonhole it to just abuse. Um, I think as you look at people's stories and you look at their um, families of origin and their um, environments that they grew up in, you will find that there are specific things that shape an individual um, that can make them have a greater propensity for um, having either unwanted sexual behavior or what you, we would call sexual brokenness. <clears throat> it doesn't always have to be abuse or it could be abuse maybe not in the way that we would normally think about. So often we use the term abuse and we think, you know, something sexual, something physical, but this could also be, um, let's say Ebony as a young woman, um, maybe you have a love language of on words of affirmation, but you didn't get a lot of words of affirmation. You got a lot of, how come you're not doing this well, Ebony? You need to do better. Um, you know, you shouldn't do it this way. And so, because you don't get that kind of affirmation, those kinds of things can also lead you toward um, unwanted sexual behavior. And I mean, I think that's like a really good point because it's so many people that may not have, they may need or have needed 
in their childhood to hear, hey, you're great. Hey, you know, you're amazing. You did this. Now, I know in some cases now we may, some parents do it a little bit too much where they kind of, you know, hey, kid, you're awesome, or you're number one, and that may not be the case, right? But just being able to affirm them in Mm -hmm. a healthy way may have been missing. And so because of that, that kind of leads to just what what I hear you saying is just like a feeling of brokenness Mm -hmm. overall, but it affects them sexually. Sure, because if a person really is longing for, because that's a legitimate need, very much a legitimate need to to um, to be loved, to be cared for, to be nurtured. Um, that's something that God has designed for every person. That's that's what He designs for each family. But if that doesn't happen, and then you you start going out to seek what that might be like, and maybe you get exposed to pornography, and so in order to sort of assuage the feeling of being feeling lonely, neglected, not cared for you start to to view pornography as a way to help you feel better. And so all of a sudden, then you realize you're caught in this cycle of watching pornography simply because you have a legitimate need that needed to be met, but you found an illegitimate way to try to get it met. Okay, so you're coping in a way you want to feel better by doing something that society actually says may not be healthy, but it's a way that makes you feel like mm-hmm. you feel better, you feel mm-hmm. affirmed. Um, what you see in the movies or on the snippets or however you're watching it is putting you in a place where you may feel wanted even. Yes, yeah, and you have total control, right? Okay. You have control because you have, you have control of the kind of pornography you wanna look at, the kinds of people that are gonna be in it, you know, that gives you full and complete control. Uh, And so if there is something about having that control that makes you feel valued and important, then that's what you go after. And that's what you will seek to try to, to, to just try to fill that empty space in your heart. Okay. Tell me like, how do you see um, cause you're, you know, you are very active as a counselor and you're, you're coaching, you're doing a lot of, you know, kingdom teaching. So how is sexual brokenness visible in the African-American community based on your experience? Well, yeah. And, and I think that's a great question, but it's also a very later layered and loaded question, um, because I think we do have to take a minute and take a step back and not look at how it looks now. We have to look at even how we as a people got there. And I think we have to look at the institution of slavery. Um, it, the institution of slavery put women in a place where they didn't have the opportunity to say who they had sex with. They were at the mercy of whomever then you also had these men who were, you know, enslaved men who were seen as um, very much overly sexual to be feared, um, to have sexual prowess, if you will, because they were used oftentimes as studs, basically, to continue to reproduce more mm-hmm. enslaved people. And um, I remember even hearing 
um, one from one of the slave narratives, a gentleman who was enslaved. These were um, recorded, I think, back in 1936. And this gentleman, he said, I think I've probably fathered over 100 kids um, because he was used in that manner as a slave. So you take that and then you start, then you have um, the emancipation, but you still have these broken people because this stuff broke people. And so now you learn how to keep secrets because you might have children that were from your enslaver. You don't necessarily tell that child that that's who your father is. Um, you have people who then may even perpetrate acts of sexual violence against one another within that community because they didn't know any other way to do it and engage. And then once something happened, then it was like, okay, we can't take this outside of our community. We're gonna take care of this inside of community and whatever that looked like. And that was probably something that necessarily wasn't healthy. Um, you know, sometimes people were very badly injured because of what they had done to someone else. Um, or, you know, all of a sudden they are here one day and they're gone the next and nobody knows what happened to that person. Um, or you might uh, have young men and young women who kind of don't know who they are simply because they don't even know their parentage and heritage. Um, and so that can perpetuate more brokenness as well. Um, so I think, you know, if we look at just how much the institution of slavery affected us, then we can start to drill down and look at what brokenness looks like in the African-American community. We can see that, um, and you and I know this just based on the fact that a lot of African-Americans won't get health, help with mental health, um, or if there are, have been, um, uh, sexual violence has been perpetrated against someone, they won't go and get help there. They keep it inside. And, you know, you're told, okay, don't tell anybody because we don't need to, anybody to know what's going on in our community. We take care of it ourselves. Um, and now all that does is to just to breed more brokenness. And, right. and you know, I would say it's also like, you kind of almost didn't have a choice, right? Because then if you take it outside of the community, then there's this um, thing that said, well, oh, well, we knew that kind of stuff was happening in your community anyway. And so, you know, you want to protect even the image of your community. I, I mean, I 100% agree with what you were saying. And like you said, it really is very layered. It is just the dynamic of like how you learn about sex. Mm -hmm. So for the male learning that you are basically a machine, you know, mm -hmm. you're, you're, you're being used to pre procreate or reproduce um, so that you have other slaves that will be as strong and as mighty as you mm -hmm. are. Mm -hmm. And then for the woman, just feeling used that you, you too are a baby making machine. Yes. And you have no control. Neither one of them have any control over their love for each other. They mm -hmm. have no control over the children that they that they have or they that they birth, and they have no control over who gets to 
say who they encounter in such an intimate space of sex, which we know how relational and how God designed sex. Yes. So the whole purpose and the intent was for us to be fruitful and multiply. But you take that to, I want you to multiply for the purpose of picking cotton or mm-hmm. whatever it is your task is. Mm-hmm. That does take away and strip a individual's um of identity yes absolutely absolutely yeah so now you talked a little bit about like the secrecy of it uh of just how this historical nature you know came about but just like the secrecy of it keeping it within is supposed to be so we can deal with it within um, and, and I understand that, but what I have found is that because there are so many layers of the secrecy from that point to current, that there was no dealing with it. There was yeah, no dealing yes, with it. It was just yes. like, let's sweep it under the rug. It didn't happen. Let's turn our head. And so I think to your point that perpetuates more brokenness so it's layers upon layers of kind of like the walking you know you're just kind of like a mirror shattered and little fragments are like put together of a person Mm -hmm. if that makes any sense yes yes it absolutely absolutely makes sense and and then you know there's this element of shame that comes with it you know when you have you think about um in the, in the enslavement environment where you know this woman may have had three or four or five children by you know a white person and so now there are biracial children and she can't claim they can't claim who their father is um and so there's a level there's this layer of shame that's there it's like because people know how you got here they know your master so-and-so's child. Uh, and so that comes with this own set of problems um, because we know even we know what the separation was like with fairer skinned people who were enslaved would be working in what we what would be considered quote unquote better circumstances um and i use that term very loosely uh, but they wouldn't have they would be separated from the field slaves they would be slaves that worked at home and then there's another layer of contention there's contention between those two groups of people of fairer skinned and darker skinned um so that even adds a whole another layer of why things are kept quiet and you don't tell Um, because it it causes more issues within the community. I agree. And, and to your point, another layer, layer that may also be added. So there's the race contention, like um, colorism, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But then there's also, if you have the person that is biracial, and they're in the house with the father that is denying them, and, and, but they know, right? Mm -hmm. It's kind of like, you know, um, but then they're denying you, you being in the house doesn't make you exempt from you being right. touched in an inappropriate way, if you know what I'm saying. Yes, that is true. That is so true. that is another layer. Um, 
why do you think it's so hard for us based on just the foundational aspects of what you've mentioned why do you think it's so hard for us now to have these deep conversations about sex just in general knowing what we've gone through seems like over time it might it it might be easier to kind of have the conversation maybe not going into slavery but more open about as open as society is about sex and how Mm -hmm. free people are with sex especially since the 1960s why aren't we as a race more comfortable having basic conversations about sex well i think some of that has to do with how we were taught sex right right you know, you don't hear, like, I wonder how many people who are listening would say, I was taught that sex is such a beautiful thing and that um, it's something that represents relationship and covenant with God. And it is an act that also glorifies God. Like who heard that message? Probably not. I don't have my hand up. Right. (laughs) I didn't hear it. Exactly. So I think that's part of it. Um, it was it it was such a taboo subject, Be, and if you did talk about it, then you were a certain kind of person, right? You know, you were maybe you're a little bit too loose and free, free loose, right? Yeah. And so you, if you were talking about it, then you were probably doing a lot of things, and you were a kind of person that everybody should stay away from. Um, So I think that's one thing. But I think the other thing, too, is is what a person's beliefs are about sex, because the one thing we have to remember is that, you know, we aren't human beings apart from sex. Right. We are sexual beings. um, And and sexuality is is while it's not our identity, it is integral to who we are and how God created us as human beings like you're not a human being apart from being sexual. So I think, so then you have certain beliefs that you have. So if I'm sitting down and you and I are talking and you as as a a believer and I'm believer, we're talking and you're sharing about how um, important it is that you wanna honor God um, in by saving yourself from marriage and not, having sex before you get married but if I have a different belief about that then there's going to be contention between the two of us and so then now we have this um, sort of confrontation that we have to deal with because again um, beliefs because sexuality is ingrained in us you can get it can be really contentious um, based on how you believe you should respond to life regarding sex and sexuality. Do you think that the response is more uh, societal, environmental, generational? I think it's all of that. Um, Because I think depending upon what generation you were brought up in, um, what you believe, uh, how much you've been influenced by society, how much you have been fluent, even influenced by your own culture, whether, you know, you're, whether you are, you know, from the South, from the Mid-Atlantic, from the North, you may even have 
different ideas about sex and sexuality depending on where you you grew up. Um, so I think all of those things impact how you will see sex and sexuality. Okay. Well, and you just made a good point in regards to just like where this could be regional, this could be, you know, cultural. I wanted to ask you what your opinion was in regards to like the internet and just like the celebrity influence when it comes to just sexual brokenness. Do you think it's perpetuated in some form or fashion? Yeah. And I think it's not intentional. I think people are just trying to portray life as it is, but I think what they don't realize that um, that they that celebrities um, do have influence over people and they have a platform. And so if they are um, sending out a message that, you know, hey, you're a woman, you can do whatever you want with your body and you can be free and you can do just what a guy does, then that's what they will get into. Uh, and so that's, those kinds of things do influence. I also see that what you just said kind of takes us all the way back to how you started when you were talking about just the lack of control that women of color had during the slavery time. So if you didn't really have a control, have control over who your mate was, um, really, you could, it could be, you know, the master or whatever the case is. Now it's kind of perpetuated that, hey, you have control to be free and to make uh -huh. any decision that you want. And that means there's no boundaries. That means you can do with what you want, who you want, when you want. And it's kind of like a revolution, but it's gone in to me in a kind of negative direction because you, you feel like they may feel like it is freedom but really it's captivity because yes. you're spreading yourself around so you're the, you're having the same impact that the black male had african-american male had a hundred children mm -hmm, that you mentioned earlier mm -hmm. that same impact so maybe you're not having the children but the sexual impact of what sex is to God yeah. is there's still yeah. a stronghold yeah. there's still mm -hmm. a um you know the, just this bond that's created with every person that you sleep with mm -hmm. that's a that's a very and that's a spiritual bond right you know yes Paul makes it very clear in first Corinthians 6 right you know and he talks about you know your body being a temple of the Holy Spirit and how you should not join your body with a prostitute um, because there is something spiritual that happens in the union of sex. And again, it, there's a quote that I love by um, Paul David Tripp. He says, each pleasurable thing was perfectly created and designed to reflect and point to the greater glory of the one who created it. That is all we have for part one. We are just warming up. There is still so much more information to cover. We will continue next time for part two of sexual brokenness in the African-American community. Our topic today was very serious. As you heard, sexual brokenness does not just affect one person, but it has the potential to affect generations. 
If you or someone you know is struggling with sexual bondage of any kind mentioned in this episode, the big thought is that you can be free. God wants you to live a life without guilt or shame of the past. I want to read two scriptures and then after say a quick prayer for which I will ask that you will repeat after me at that point. The two scriptures, one comes from Joel chapter 2 verse 32 and it reads, And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be delivered. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem shall be deliverance, as the Lord hath said, and the remnant whom the Lord shall call. The second scripture comes from John chapter 8, 36. If the Son therefore shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. So wherever you are, I ask that you repeat after me. Heavenly Father, I have done... You fill in the blank for the sin that you've done. And I ask for mercy over the sexual sin in my life. I break patterns of learned and inherited sexual sin. I break the desire of lust and to engage in sexual sin. By the blood of Jesus, I break every bondage over my sexual life. I declare that today my body will no longer be used as an instrument or object to further sexual sin. From this day forward, my body will be used to glorify God in all that I do. Thank you, Lord, for your deliverance. Thank you, Lord, for your healing and healing the brokenness in my life. I now walk in wholeness. By the blood of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, amen. Now, that's all for this episode. Stay tuned for newer episodes, and thank you so much for listening. Small talk, big thoughts, big thoughts. Small talk, big thoughts, big thoughts. Small